Let's go down to the threshing floor. What's a threshing floor? A threshing floor is this place of separation. It's a place where we all have to be willing to go in our walk with Christ. It's a place where we come to meet Jesus face to face. Join me in this episode as we dive in and we journey together down to the threshing floor. You're listening to another episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for joining in. We're about to get started, but before we do, do yourself a favor. Go fill up a cup of coffee, grab a notebook, scrap piece of paper, something to write on, pop in your earbuds. We're about to dive in. Hey guys, my name is Jessica Hartzold and I am obsessed with all things Jesus. I am a lover of my Bible and a pursuer of our Lord. But I am also a woman who makes mistakes and doesn't always get it right. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. Boy, have I not. However, during one of the most difficult times of my life, God illuminated for me the power of a choice and this gift of free will. She Chooses is a podcast purpose to help you fall in love with Jesus. And in doing so, learning how to harness this gift of free will by taking life one choice at a time. Let's get started. Today, we're finally stepping into chapter three in our journey through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a book that we are falling head over heels in love with as we are looking at it as this picture that it is of a message to us as the bride of Christ. We're walking through this with our eyes wide open. We're trying to behold all of the pictures, all of the examples that God has intentionally woven throughout these four chapters for us to learn from. Last week, we learned about grafting. We watched or read rather as Ruth was grafted into Boaz's family. And we talked about how this is really a picture of our own grafting in of the kingdom of God. And it's breathtaking and wonderful as we receive Boaz as this picture of the greater Boaz that we know of as Jesus. We also talked about gleaning in the last episode. We learned gleaning is part of Levitical law. It was the right of a poor person or a stranger among a community to gather the leftovers of a harvest. The leftovers that the harvesters, the reapers, they were commanded to not go over their field a second time, but allow these poor people, these strangers in this land to gather from the corners of the field. This is, this book is, it's a message involving agriculture. And we need to have an understanding of some concepts, some processes, some procedures, some things that they used when this was written. When we look to ancient agriculture, or really, a lot of these things just became outdated in the 1900s. So we can't even really call it ancient agriculture. In some places it's still used, but it it is what it is. So we have harvest. We know what harvest is. I live in the Midwest. I feel totally and completely blessed to live where I live because agriculture is all around us. And so these pictures are just the coolest things to see in scripture. But I understand some of us are not in an agriculture community. So some of these things are completely foreign. So harvest is whenever a a farmer, they go into the field, their crop is ready to be pulled out of the field. They go and they take that crop. 
that they have worked so hard to grow and they remove that from the field. To glean, we talked about it last time, but just touching on it once more is um, the harvest has happened and then the gleaning, the picking up of what has been dropped or left behind by the reapers, that gleaning happens. Another term we need, term we need to understand is threshing floor. This threshing floor was used in daily agricultural lives of men. A threshing floor is it's a flat surface. It's usually smooth and it's used to separate the grain from the chaff. And it's this manual separation that happens. So usually they would use animals. They would crush and break the sheaves of the grain on that threshing floor. Or people would actually take these sticks and they would manually break the sheaves apart. And the result of all of that hard work is that the grains would be separated from the husks. And the next concept we need to understand is winnowing. Winnowing is a process that separated that mixed up pile of grain that is now there from being threshed, right? The stalk and the husk so that the edible portion can now be sifted and eaten. The farmer, what they would do is they would scoop up the pieces that had been threshed and they would they would literally throw them into the air and the wind would then blow the stalk away and the grain would actually fall almost straight to the ground. These concepts, we, we hear them. We hear about gleaning. We hear about the threshing floor. We hear about the chaff. We hear about winnowing in lots of different areas in scripture. So it is absolutely necessary that we take time to understand what is chaff? We don't use that. I don't use that in my day-to-day -day communication. It's not part of my vocabulary. Uh, so we really need to understand what do these words mean? What is happening? And when we have this understanding, we can see this powerful thing that God is really intending to communicate to us whenever we come across it in scripture. So we're going to go ahead and dive into Ruth chapter three, and we're going to start with this episode. We're going to take this chapter and we're going to chunk it out. We're going to read a few verses and then we're going to talk about what's happening and dive into it that, which, that way, which is a little bit different than what we usually do. But I think that it's really important. There's so much in this chapter. I think it's important that we approach it this way. So Ruth chapter three, verses one through nine is where we're going to start. It says this, one day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you, take a bath, put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. So here we have Naomi and Ruth, and there's this conversation happening. Naomi, her attitude seems to have shifted from what we had seen previously where she was hopeless and now she is hopeful, where she was bitter and actually said, call me Mara, call me bitter. We now see, wait, there's a glimmer of hope that seems to be surfacing within her. And she's giving Naomi instruction. So what's the instruction that she's giving her? She's telling her, Ruth, you need a permanent space. She knows that Ruth needs a place of rest. And Naomi is acknowledging and understanding that the ultimate rest 
that Ruth needs isn't going to be established through her relationship with Naomi herself. Naomi understands she has got to get her to Boaz. So she's directing Ruth. She's saying, in my own words, it's time that your relationship with Boaz takes another step. And Naomi, being so wise, she is paying attention to the weather. She knows what's happening. She knows what time of year this is. And she understands that, hey, farmers, they wait until wind. They have to have wind for the for the winnowing to happen. And she understands that, hey, it's that time where Boaz, he's going to be at the threshing floor today. So she's doing some discerning. She's discerning the time and she's discerning what's happening with Ruth and how she needs to get Ruth to this place of rest or point her to this place of rest. And she realizes, okay, now's the time to take this step. This connection you have between Boaz through me, Naomi is saying, it needs to go beyond me. It needs to go deeper. It's time that you make this a personal relationship. When we connect this to ourselves or those around us, we need to think about what do we see? How is this applicable to us? No, sure, others around us are so important and fellowship is so necessary. Friendship is so necessary. These things are godly. But the true answer for our need is found in Jesus. And I love how Naomi is, she's demonstrating this for us so beautifully. And she's showing us the importance of mentorship and the necessity to get others focused, not on following us, but pressing on toward our Redeemer. Yes, we want to be disciple makers and, and we want friends, but we don't want followers ourselves. That's why social media is like so frustrating to me sometimes because we're like trying to get all of these great followers and all of this stuff. And it's like, look, no, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Let's point them on to Jesus because that is where redemption is found. We cannot redeem anyone. So I'm going to jump off my soapbox right there. But Ruth, she then goes on and she responds this. She says in Ruth chapter three, verse five through six, I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. She said this, all that you say, that I will do. These instructions seem so weird to us because how many times are we willing to say that to someone who's just given us instructions? All that you say, that I will do. Has your boss given you instruction this week and you've responded, all that you say, that I will do. I mean, we should want to do these things, um, but culturally we're like, Ugh, I'll do some of it, but not all of it. Oh, this response from Ruth to Naomi back in their time and in their culture was absolutely rooted in tradition and it was very much what they would have experienced. Ruth has a trust with Naomi and she's trusting these instructions and she's yielding to Naomi's wisdom. We don't do a lot of yielding these days. Yielding is something that's difficult for us. Um, and it's probably a whole nother podcast episode of sorts, but she yielded to Naomi's wisdom. Naomi was a beautiful mentor to Ruth and mentorship is something that it seems to be like this lost concept of sorts, but scripture really has a lot to say about it. 
Titus 2, chapter 3, verse 5 says, The older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Proverbs 13 and 20 tells us whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the com companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5 says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. There's so much about mentorship in just these four verses, right? We are called to be taught by older women. We need to be reverent of our elders. And too often we see people with their eye rolls of disrespect toward what the elders are wanting to say. And we are the ones that are out of line when we act that way or we choose not to listen to the wisdom that they're trying to pass down to us. When they're trying to do those things, they are following God's command. They are called to teach what is good and to train us as young women. They have so many things to say, and it's our job to be obedient to scripture and take the time to listen and not assume that we know better than these precious women that have gone before us. We need them to sharpen us. We need them because they are wise. If we are going to be wise, we need to walk with the wise and learn from them. And we need to understand what it means to be subject to them. There's a lot of beauty there too, and, and nobody really likes to talk about that, but it's true. We've got to learn to really honor our elders in this way because there is something powerful that happens. And Ruth, she shows us that something powerful happens when we allow that mentoring to take place. So on to Ruth chapter three, we're going to look at verses seven through nine. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. She said, you are my family redeemer. I'm reading to you from the New Living Translation just because it's easier for us to understand. However, in the King James Version, I love that version better in this peace because it says she calls Boaz his her kinsman redeemer. There is so much power in that statement of kinsman redeemer that when we move to the New Living Translation, it completely waters it down. And we don't want to do that. And we'll talk more about what a kinsman redeemer is in chapter four, but Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And this kinsman redeemer concept is something that we all have got to understand. So let's talk about this. What, what has just happened? How was her approach to Boaz? She came to him softly. It says she came to him softly. She came quietly. When we look at that, we see that this speaks to meekness and gentleness. Every word of scripture is important. So the fact that they described how she came to Boaz is important for us to understand because Ruth came to him softly, meekly, gentle. Now I want to look at what specific request does Ruth make of Boaz? 
The specific request that Ruth makes of Boaz is spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my kinsman redeemer. Did Naomi tell her to say that? Absolutely not. She was bold in her request. That is not what Naomi told her to do. Ruth followed her instructions so far, but it got to a place where that boldness rose up inside of her and, and she professed boldly what it was specifically. She didn't wait for him to tell her what to do. She told him what she needed him to do. And you know what? Whenever we look at our relationship with Jesus, there comes those times. We need to approach him in boldness and be very direct. And God, this is what I need from you. We have to get to the end of ourselves to reach our need for him, to acknowledge our need for him, to acknowledge exactly what it is that we need of him. And she talks about, she says, spread the corner of your covering over me. The King James Version, it says skirt. When you take time and you translate that word back to the original language, that's actually translated wing. And when we look at it with that word in mind, it begins to make a whole lot more sense because we've seen wing in other areas of scripture and we understand that there's a lot to, to look at whenever we see that. She's telling him, spread your wings over your servant. We look at Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 8 through 14. I'm going to sum up what that says. Um, but we see exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Boaz was impressed by Ruth. He was so impressed by her. Her loyalty was shining so brilliantly. The fact that she's picking him over the younger men, it's drawing his attention. He's like, oh my word, that's what I imagine. How about us when it comes to Jesus? What's our loyalty like when it comes to serving him? Are we living in two worlds? Are we serving him on Sunday, doing whatever we wanna do every other day? Are we chasing after the latest trend? Or are we consistent in our pursuit of him? A scripture that often rolls through my mind is Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. There is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. I love this verse. We're supposed to ask for the old paths, ask for the ancient paths, not the latest trend. There are so many trends out there for us to follow. I've talked so much about the book that Max Lucado wrote, If Only I Had a Green Nose. I'm going to plug it again. Buy it for your kids. They will be blessed by it. And you will start laughing every single crazy time you see a green nose trend pop up in culture. Green noses are those things, those fads. They're in style one minute, out the other. You know, we chase them all the time and there's no rest. And what it is, are we actually trying? What's the target? Because it's a moving target that we're constantly trying to reach for. You know, we see this in TikTok. We see it in women wearing fanny packs. We see it in people studying the Enneagram. We see it in kids wearing slides and sandals. But actually, when you take that, it's more like an ancient path, if you would ask them, because... I wore those in the 90s and we rocked that style so well before these kiddos today thought they were cool. So 
it, it, it was a trend that's come around that feels like an ancient path, but it's really not. And that's irrelevant. Or Apple products, th those can be trendy. Or butterfly clips, you know, full eyebrows. You know, I'm never going to have full eyebrows because I overplucked mine way back in 2000. Or drawn in eyebrows or exercise trends that we see. Everybody trying to lose weight in five minutes because this trend promises that you will. But these trends, they all have their time and then they're done. And these trends, they can, if we're not careful, this trend mentality can also tiptoe into our spiritual life as well. These trends in spirituality, they come in the form of ideas. They're things that Jude, he warns us about when he said certain men crept in unaware. Yeah, these traditions that we end up worshiping over God, ideas that sound like truth, they have just enough truth in them to sound like it. But had we really dug into scripture, we would have found a lie planted therein. Guys, we don't want to treat our relationship with Jesus like the latest topic, the latest trend, because chances are we're never going to see Jesus show up in what's trending online because our culture has all but dismissed him. And friends, this world, if you're paying attention, it is wrapping up so quickly. Prophecies are being fulfilled at an alarming rate. And the last thing we want is for our loyalty to the great I am to be diminished because of some false idea that has been allowed to slither into the church, slither into our home, slither into our mind. So we've got to get into the word. We've got to fall in love with the word. And we have to be willing to ask for the ancient paths, understanding it's not going to be the trend. It's not going to be the popular thing to do. These paths will not be popular. So we have got to get that idea out of our mind. Scripture says, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many go thereby. That's the popular path. But those ancient paths, those are the way that lead us to the highway of holiness. Eternity, where the ransomed of the Lord walk. We have to be sure that we're chasing Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, not the latest idea, not the latest trend. Ruth chapter 3 verse 12 through 18 goes on to say this. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Let's talk about Boaz for a little bit and what we see in him in this chapter specifically. I see that he is selfless. He's acknowledging the Lord consistently. He sent her home with more than what she needs. Six scoops of barley. He tells her to lay down until morning. We need to understand that 
in this culture, women had no rights. They were viewed as property more than a person. And that's not God. That was man's flesh that caused that culture. That's not God at all. And he understood that it would have been unsafe for her to go home at that time of night. So he says, lay down here until morning. He sends her home. He spread, he takes her cloak, spreads it out, measures those six scoops of barley, and then he sends her home. And he said he was going to take care of this. He's a righteous man, and he's going to take care of this for her. Naomi, Naomi gives Ruth some more instruction here whenever Ruth gets back to her. She says, wait, my daughter. When we're talking about obedience, and what it looks like in this book. Waiting can be perceived as doing nothing, but waiting is a whole lot of doing something because you're restraining yourself from an action. You know, sometimes obedience is actual movement and you're doing something, and sometimes it's stillness, it's quieting yourself, it's waiting on There's a whole lot of verses in scripture about waiting on the Lord. Psalm chapter 46 verse 10 tells us, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still and know that I am God. 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 16 says, Stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. There's another one. Stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do. We're not physically doing things in these scriptures and these commands. We're simply being still. And I said simply, and sometimes that's not simple to be still and wait, to be still and watch, to be still and know. I don't speak from a place of not knowing. I know what it means to have to wait. The Lord has caused me to wait many times in my walk with him. So I know that these commands are not easy and I don't pretend to tell you that they are, but they are so worth it because just as he says, he will be exalted. He will do a great thing before our eyes if we are willing to quiet ourselves and watch him do what only he can do. Psalm chapter one, Psalm chapter 131 says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. We need to be like that psalm. We need to learn how to quiet, to calm and quiet ourselves, to let our soul be content to be calm and quiet and wait for his promise to come to pass. We're wrapping up this episode today and over the course of the next few days, I ask that you would just consider the things that you're waiting for the Lord on. God is faithful. He is very faithful and he is true to his word. We can take him at his word if we are willing Talk to him about these things that you're waiting on. If you're impatient, let him know that you're patient and ask for his help to still, to quiet yourself, to calmly wait and be content in this moment for what it is he is asking you to wait for him to do.
Consider what we see in Boaz. Consider how that points us to Jesus. Boaz went himself and took care of the situation. He didn't tell Ruth to go take care of, to go talk to the other kinsman redeemer. No, he said, I'm going to take care of this for you. The same is true of our heavenly gang. He doesn't send us to take care of these things ourselves. He takes care of them for us. And he is a good father. He is our great provider as we sit and we wait just as he was for Ruth. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope over the next few days, you'll take some time and really think about what we just went over. Look for a way to apply it. It's when we activate the word that we really start to step into the life that Jesus desires for us to live, that authentic Christian living. If you found this episode helpful, share it. And please leave a review. When you do, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. And if you're like me and you like to digest information in varying forms, you can find the full episode transcript on the She Chooses website. Check out the show notes for a direct link. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe, making sure you never miss an episode.